All right, as many of you know that have been here for a while, uh, we are in our week four of four weeks studying 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, roughly. It says, Paul wrote, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, we could have done an eight-week or a 12-week or a probably 52-week sermon series on that, but that might grow a little stale. So we picked four areas to look at, and today's area is imitate Paul by ministering to others. So let me ask you, first of all, who, to whom are we called to minister? Well, to every culture, ethnicity, and religion. Paul took the gospel to Jews and pagans of every variety. You know, Romans 1.14, Paul wrote, I am, a, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. If you have a King James, then it probably says that he, he says, I'm a debtor to Greeks and barbarians. So how is he a debtor or how is he one under obligation to all these other people? Imagine someone in here wrote a $50,000 check for our renovations that we need done. They said, this will take care of your, your restrooms and a whole lot of other things. And then let's say I took that and I cashed it and I put it in my account. Now, don't worry, I don't even know how to do that. I probably can't do that. But anyway, <laughs> if I did that and I started using it for my home repair or uh, fixing up a car or just you know having a good slush fund there for, for fun things... Somebody would come to me and say, that is not your money. So see, when we're given treasure that's not just ours, we need to pass it on, right? The treasure of the gospel entrusted to me is for the benefit of other people. And Paul knew that, and that's why he said, I am a debtor to all these other folks. Along with the privilege of believing the gospel comes the obligation to share the gospel, as we talked about last week. God did not give you the gospel because you're worthy, more worthy than somebody else. He gave you the gospel because he loves you. He chose to love you, but he also chose to use you to transfer that gospel to other people. You know, in the Jewish mind, there were Jews and then there were Gentiles. And maybe there was a third category of Samaritans that that was even under the Gentiles. But basically, there's the chosen people of God, and there's everybody else in the Jewish mind. Paul here generalizes all non-Jews as Greeks and barbarians. You know, Paul wouldn't have cared a bit about what shade of skin the particular Gentile had that he was talking with. That wouldn't have mattered to him at all. It wouldn't have entered his mind. The gospel is to be taken to every tribe, tongue, and people, regardless of their ethnicity. We welcome all people here. And we know that, but we have to get the word out to those outside the church. A couple of years ago, uh, we had an Easter egg hunt, and we invited a whole lot of folks uh, via Facebook, and a whole, whole lot of folks came. We had lots and lots of kids from the neighborhood around here come and look for Easter eggs with us. Now, that was good, but there's one heartbreaking thing that happened during that time. Uh, my wife observed this little guy uh, who was a a black fellow, he little little kid, he went and got one of the flyers inviting everybody to church. And his older sibling said, oh, we don't need that. This is a white church. So the kid put it back. 
So we know that everybody is welcome here, but we need to make sure those outside of here know that. And that's something that we can all work toward. So the bottom line is that we're supposed to minister to everyone as the Lord gives us the opportunity. We're called to minister to those inside the church. You know, the church is where we should be able to find love, fellowship, partnership in the gospel, and in the work that we are called to do to expand the kingdom. We are to be here for one another in a committed and genuine relationship, and that is available here. There are some people that don't take advantage of that because they're kind of on the periphery. They'll come to Sunday morning service, but they aren't involved in our small groups, or they aren't involved in Sunday school. And let me urge you, if you, if you seek out community like every other human being on the planet join in one of our small groups guys that's where you can become really really close to people and they know your business and you know their business and you're part of the family rather than just somebody that attends church with them that is a wonderful relationship and it's so much more fulfilling and more real than you can ever have just coming to Sunday services Let me tell you a couple of things that we're doing specifically to minister to and target young families so that you can help us get the word out. Now, it's not a secret around here that we need to look for some young families and need to get young families in our church. Um, The ministry and missions team is doing a couple of things to help us focus on them a little bit and help us spread the word about that so that we can try to attract some more young people. One is... In October, we're doing a young adult marriage retreat. Uh, That is already booked, so don't invite your friends to that. But you can tell them we're doing it. And then maybe next year we can do the same thing and we can have some more young families in here with us. Another thing is we are going to start a date night once a month where we're going to take their kids and babysit their kids on a Saturday afternoon and evening. So for two reasons. One, so our young families can go out without their kids and spend some time together. And all of us know that that's an important and good thing that our young families need. But another thing is they're going to be able to invite their peers and say, Hey guys, why don't you drop off your kids? We'll take care of them for free at the church. You can trust these people. And go out with us and have a good time. And why don't you come worship with us on Sunday morning, right? So it's a way for them to reach out and to invite. So... Tell, if you got some young couple in your neighborhood, tell them, hey, how would you like an evening of free babysitting where you can go out and have a good time with your spouse? Let us know. We don't want a bunch of kids dropped off that we don't know are coming, right? (laughs) But you can make that offer and then you can call us and we can be prepared and we can provide that service for them. Our ministry to those outside the church is primarily and ultimately to get the life-changing message of the gospel to them. You know, we may minister to them in ways that facilitate that, uh, that don't, aren't directly uh, evangelistic, but that needs to be the goal and the end point of what we do in our ministry out for those outside the church. Acts of charity or service may open doors for gospel witness, but getting them to hear the gospel must be the end goal of our efforts. So to whom do we minister? Everybody that our sovereign God puts in our circle of influence. You see, God works on the messenger of the gospel and the recipient of the gospel at the same time in order to coordinate his will. 
I know that all of us who are Christians believe in the sovereignty of God, but I find that there are different levels of what we think of as sovereignty. Uh, my, my view of God is uh, that His sovereignty is such that there's not one stray atom in the universe. And we need to understand that God is so sovereign that He works His will perfectly in coordination in ways that we can't even imagine. Let's look at one of those instances in Acts chapter 10. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of summarize. Cornelius is a guy who has, uh, he's, a, he's a godly from the outside looking fella. He, he takes care of the poor. He is a good guy and he's seeking after God because God's already working in him. So he gets a vision and he says, the vision, the angel tells him, you need to call this guy named Peter and get him to come and tell you about something. And so then God at the same time gives Peter a vision of this big sheet with a bunch of animals on it. And it comes down and God says, take and eat. And Peter being the, the wild fellow that he is, is like, no. So, uh, so it happens again and again. And finally he gets the message that, oh, I'm supposed to go ahead and eat these things that aren't... Uh, clean ceremonially in Jewish law. You know, Jews weren't even supposed to visit in the home of or eat with a Gentile because it would make them ceremonially unclean. Well, Cornelius gathered all of his relatives and close friends to come and hear Peter's message after he sent for him. The angel said, send for him. So he said, yes, sir. And he sent for him. Then he gathers his family and friends together. And when Peter got to Cornelius's house, Cornelius fell down to worship him, and Peter stopped him and said, Hey, I'm just a man. <laughs> Don't worship me. And then in Acts 10:28, let's read a couple of verses. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you have sent for me. And then Cornelius told him about the dream and how the angel had instructed him specifically to send for Peter. Peter preached the gospel to them and they were saved. The point that I'm trying to make is that we see that God has this stuff orchestrated through his sovereignty. There are people in your circle of influence that God is working on. And God is working on you and us as a church to prepare us to take that message to them. So... We all know that on November 16th, there's going to be a group of people come here and help us become equipped to take the gospel message to those outside the church. Well, God knows this and is planning for this and is planning on having people in your circle of influence ready to hear the gospel message that he is preparing you to take to them. You and I know that not everyone that hears the gospel will repent and come to faith. If we could tell who the Bible calls the elect, who, if we could tell who they were, we could drive up and down the street, and if the house said elect on it, we could stop there and we could share our faith with them, right? <laughs> but that's not how it works. So what we're called to do is witness to everyone as the Lord gives us opportunity. Let me give you some really good news, though. When you share your faith, you can't go wrong. You can't lose. You're called to obedience and the results are up to God. So when people repent and are saved, 
you have done your job. When people hear the gospel and they reject the gospel, you have done your job. Thank God he doesn't tell us to save people. That's simply above our pay grade, right? We can't do that. What he tells us to do is share with them the gospel. So that's who we're supposed to minister to. Everybody that God puts in our circle of influence. And God knows what he's doing. And he's sovereignly arranging people to be close to you and you to share the gospel with them. I see a different group of people during the week than you do. I don't go to your place of work. I don't live in your house. You have a circle of influence in your neighborhood that I don't have. And I have one that you don't have. And that God has done that on purpose. He's put every one of us where we are to be ministers of the gospel in that place. The next question is what? In what ministries do we engage And that's always a challenging question for for every church because we want to spend our time and our resources very wisely. That is why our ministry and missions team gets the big bucks. Well, they don't really, but they have an eternal reward for their work. And let me make clear to you that they do work hard and with much prayer so that when we ask you to get involved in a ministry, it is something that we have thought about and prayed about and believe it's worth investing in. Paul's first priority to those outside the church was clearly to evangelize them, and it must be our first priority as we look at ministries to be involved in. Last week, we committed to become equipped and start taking that seriously. Guys, that's amazing. I'm going to say it's revolutionary even in the life of this church. So let's do everything we can to build on that momentum. I was talking to Jimmy earlier, and I said... I don't want us to peak too early. (laughs) He said, yeah, we can't peak before the playoffs. And I said, well, since we don't get started until November, we'd be peaking before the season ever started, right? So we need to build on the momentum of our commitment to be here in November. Paul did other things in addition to preaching the gospel. He also instructed the church through his letters. Thank God, because we have them in our Holy Scripture and we can look at them and benefit from them. He taught in person in churches. He planted churches. He helped provide money for struggling churches. He would go and collect money from one church and take it to another and ministered to the poor. But ultimately, everything Paul did was done with the focus of reconciling people to God. You know, sometimes churches do kind of, well, I'll just say it candidly, pointless ministry. Um, they do it so that they can feel good about it and they can pat themselves on the back and say, look what we did. Uh, Let me give you an example of that. In a church where I served formerly, we had a big apartment complex right next, right adjacent to the church. And so we invited that apartment complex over a whole lot of people to come and meet in our parking lot and we'd give them all hot dogs and Coke. So that's what we did. Uh, There was no meaningful sharing of the gospel. There was no meaningful interactions trying to get people to uh, build relationships. I mean, we didn't do anything except feed these people who weren't hungry hot dogs. Uh, If they were poor and in need and needed a meal, then you could say, okay, that was worth something. Uh, If we had brought them over there and shared the gospel with them, that would have been worth something. But see, we were just trying to do something to stay busy. And we here... Don't have time or desire to do that. 
So what we're going to do is involve ourselves in ministry that always has the final and ultimate goal of getting the gospel to people. I guess the powers that be, the decision makers there, thought that if we gave them a hot dog, they'd all show up to church the next day. Well, they did not. So everything we do needs to have a point, and the noblest point of all is showing people how they can be reconciled to God. So that's what we're going to do. Now, when and where did Paul minister, and when and where are we to minister? Well, he ministered everywhere. He ministered in prison. He ministered when he was free, when he was shipwrecked, when he was under house arrest. Every occasion and every place Paul found himself in was an occasion and an opportunity for ministry. So let me encourage you, don't wait until fill in the blank. Don't wait until you're not as busy with your kids or grandkids. Don't wait until you feel good all the time, because if you're over 25, that's probably not going to happen again. <laughs> all right. Don't wait until you somehow don't have laundry to do or grass to cut, because you're going to have that, okay? So a, a lot of times we put off ministry. We say, you know, I want to get involved, but I can't get involved yet because, and we fill in the blank with something. Let me encourage you not to do that. Life is short. And you want to spend it usefully and purposefully. Now, I know that there are some legitimate reasons that people are unable to be involved in certain things. Obviously, we know the difference between caring for a spouse that needs full-time attention and, you know, oh, I have to paint my dog's toenails. We know the difference between these two reasons not to get involved in ministry, right? Like so many other things that we have talked about recently, having the time to minister to other people is a matter of priority. So we need to set a time, aside a time to do ministry, but we also need to minister as we go. I don't know if you guys were singing as we go before uh, I introduced it to us when I was the worship pastor, but let me tell you why we sing that. <laughs> we sing it because it says, as we go, may your spirit go before us. You know, we were talking about our sovereign God arranges things. He takes people that need to hear the gospel and people that have the gospel and puts them together. As we go, may we follow where you lead. We need to follow the leading of the Spirit. So when He does put us together with those people who need our ministry, we can provide that ministry. May we live what we have learned. Guys, we don't want to come here for the sake of being better at Bible trivia, right? (laughs) We want to know how the Lord wants us to live, and we want to live that way. Share the message we have heard, and be a light unto the world When? On Tuesday evening, maybe, when we set up a time for visitation? That's great, maybe. But as we go is how we are supposed to minister. Paul shared the gospel with his jailers. All right, here's what I would have done. I would have been praying that God would get me out of this trouble that I didn't even deserve so that I could go somewhere else, safer and more comfortable, so that I could be useful for the kingdom, right? Well, let me tell you what Paul does. In Acts 16, 25 and following, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God while they were in jail, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. 
And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Now Paul certainly could have, and most of us would have, resented that jailer. On top of that, we would have seen that God provided for our escape, and we would have taken advantage of that. We would have run for it, right? The kind of love that only can come through the Holy Spirit residing in the believer, though, compelled him to stay and to share his faith with that guy rather than seize the chance to run for it. One thing that made Paul so effective and compassionate as a preacher of the gospel was he was humble enough to remember when he himself was dragging Christians off to jail. He remembered that he was once the jailer. We absolutely need to learn or maybe rediscover that without Christ, we are the lost person. So how can we possibly look down on them or think that they don't deserve to hear the gospel? But for the grace of God, there go I, right? That's a saying we have, but oh, it's so very true. Paul knew without Christ, he was the jailer and he was the one in need of the gospel. And that's what made him loving and compassionate toward that guy. So what we need to do is make sure we don't start taking credit for our own salvation and then become proud of ourselves for something that we didn't even do. God did it. That's ridiculous. And it will kill the spirit of obedience that we saw demonstrated in our service last week. And we want that spirit of submission to God and obedience to God to grow and grow and grow here at West Laurel. We are under obligation to take the blessings that God has given us and bless others with them. Or how about this one? When Paul was under house arrest in Rome, he wrote in Philippians 1, 12, and 13, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Guys, the only thing that could shut Paul up from witnessing about his Lord is it took beheading to silence him. It was like he had a virulent contagion. Everyone he went around, everywhere he went, he was spreading that gospel flu, if you will. Except unlike diseases, this, the gospel doesn't harm and kill, it restores and gives life. Be contagious that way. That's what we need to do, guys. We need to be contagious with our faith so that when people are around us, they are exposed to Christianity. They're exposed to the gospel. They're exposed to the results of the gospel as we live with integrity around them. Now, if you're saying, hey, I'll be more contagious after we get equipped on November 16th, I can live with that. (laughs) But let's be praying and mentally preparing and working toward the goal of being more and more contagious with our faith. That goes back to as we go. And guys, it's, it's good 
it, it may be great for us to set a time where we go together to, uh, to take the gospel to folks on a door-to-door kind of basis. That may be something we want to do. I don't know. I'll talk to our ministry and missions team about that. But principally, our witness needs to be as we go, as we interact with those people around us who have had the opportunity to observe who we are and what we believe. Paul ministered regardless of his financial situation as well. Philippians 4, 12 and 13, Paul says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, we take that verse and we stick it on our t-shirts or our coffee mugs and we think, oh, I can, I can win this football game because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is much more difficult. He says, I can be content in poverty or in wealth, whatever. I can be content in every situation because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So, do you have the resources to fund an orphanage? Can you write us one one check to cover all the, the renovations that need to happen around here? If you can do those things, that's awesome. And you do what God tells you to do. If God's given you wealth... He wants you to use that to glorify Him. But regardless of your financial situation, you can do the highest and the greatest ministry that God calls us to. And that is reconciling people to God through the gospel. You know, when, when I was baptizing Alice earlier, I said it's, it's so glorious that God gives us this gospel where we can take it and we can study it and we can analyze it and we can look at the proof for the gospel and we can look at the proof for a creator, and we can spend a lot of mental energy on that, and, uh, and that's a fulfilling and rewarding thing to, to dive into, and we can reason with people and help them see that our faith is a reasonable and logical place uh, to come to. But it's also accessible to a, a child. And that's the same thing here, guys. If we have great wealth, we can do great things for the kingdom. If we don't have great wealth, we can still do great things for the kingdom because it's accessible even to us. Because the highest form of ministry, the greatest calling that we have is to share the gospel with people around us. You know, Paul also ministered even though he had a thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, Paul says, So to keep me, he had just had this amazing vision, and so he said, To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Guys, you have to be very mature in Christ and have a lot of faith to be content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamities. I don't want to be content with those things. I want to run away from those things as fast as I can. I know that many of us are not physically at our peak. Paul wasn't either. But he knew that God's grace was sufficient and that he would continue to minister 
with all that he could, with all that he had, until he was with the Lord. Now, I don't know what your thorn in the flesh is, if you have one, but if you can, I don't mean to belittle it because I don't even know what it is, but if you can, find a way to minister anyway. All right, our last question is, well, one of our last questions. Yep, it's our last question. How? How did Paul minister? Um, every way that he could think of is how he ministered. In 1 Corinthians 9, 20 to 22, now we've already studied this in our, in our 1 Corinthians study, so hopefully this will be familiar to you. Paul wrote, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. All things to all people. I think if we're to spread the message of the gospel like Paul did, then we will have to contextualize and be creative because that is exactly what Paul did. Now his context was different in a lot of ways than ours, but if we were, if he was here with us today, I believe he would encourage us to be creative, to think outside the box, and to take chances. We cannot be creative on the message at all. The message is set. The message is perfect. We can't change a thing there. But we can be creative in how we reach people. Paul was. And I think if he were here, he would tell us to be. In Acts 17, we read how Paul contextualized his approach in Athens to the people in Athens for the sake of having them hear the gospel. Acts 17, 16 through 23. Let's see what Paul said here. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul addressed these folks, and he said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. And Paul laid out the gospel for them. So he took what was in their context, what they could be familiar with, and he said, I'm going to start there, and then I'm going to get the gospel to them. Did Paul change the gospel? (laughs) Of course he didn't. He did, however, contextualize his approach in order to try and relate to those people. Well, what was the result? In verse 32 through 34, we see, Now when they heard of the resurrection from the dead, some mocked. But others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed. So that is going to be the results, guys, when we do preach the gospel. Did Paul succeed? Absolutely he did. 
Was everyone converted? No. Paul did what he was supposed to do, though. He was obedient to share the gospel. And that is why I say we can't lose if we are obedient to share the message. All right, I told you a story. We do have one more question, and that is, why do we do it? We do it that people would be saved. You know, what did Paul say in that thing we read a minute ago? He said, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. So what do we do with with our study today? Well, without ever wavering on our message, we minister to those outside the church with the overarching goal of bringing the gospel message to them. And we do it in a way that reaches people here and now. Now you say, how do we do that? I don't know. I mean, if I knew that, we'd be doing it, right? But we look for new ways. We look for creative ideas to get the message of the gospel to the people around us. We minister to those inside the church by loving them genuinely, selflessly, and consistently. Folks, there are people who um, will go to great lengths to find the community that is offered within the church. Um, There are folks who are uh, more California types that are almost religious in their fervor for CrossFit. You can see that I am not, but I need to be. But I want to find my family and my community in the church because that's where we are meant to find that. Obviously, the families that God puts us in, that's a great thing. But folks, we have widows and we have people whose children don't live around here. And we need to minister to one another inside the church so that we all have a big old family that we come get together with every Sunday morning. Now, let me tell you how we get in that family. Um, The message that we're going to take to folks is this. We have sinned and rebelled against God. Everybody has. The Bible says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when we sinned against God and rebelled against our Creator, obviously that created a problem. Now, we were unable to fix that problem. We had no way to make up for what we did. We had no way to become perfect again. So what God did was He sent His perfect Son to live a perfect life of righteousness, to fulfill the law in every way, and to even fulfill things on our behalf. He went to John for baptism what was john's baptism john had a baptism of repentance right well jesus didn't have anything to repent of but he underwent that baptism of repentance for you and for me because we did need to so he lived a perfect righteous holy life and then he died in my place and guys what the gospel is is that he will if you put your faith in him take your sins and put it on christ who's paid for them on the cross And take Christ's righteousness and credit that to your account. So you're not only forgiven before God, but you are loved and accepted and cherished before God. That's the news that we have to take to those around us. Uh, Guys, we can make it complicated. We can make it this big formula of 50 things we got to memorize. Or you can just become familiar with it and you can just share it with them, okay? So we want to minister to those inside the church and outside the church. And if you're here today and you say, you know, I I need that ministry inside the church. I want to come and be a part of you so that I can get in those small groups. I can become family with these believers that meet here every Sunday. And I can get to work on sharing my faith with them as we corporately become equipped and become a people who are doing that. If you'd like to come and join with us today, in a minute when we get up and sing, please come. 
Also, if you're here and you have something that is, is weighing on you and you're praying about and you would like for me to pray with you, it'd be my honor to do so. And if you're here today and you say, hey, I'm not 100% sure that I've got the gospel straight in my mind and that I have been saved myself, then please come down here and talk with me because we, uh, we can clarify that and we can talk through it and make sure that you understand the gospel. What are we singing, brother? There is a Savior. Let's stand together as we sing.